Hello, everybody, and welcome once again to Wednesday Night Live. I'm coming to you from the Father's Church in Dallas, Texas. My name is Ron Crawford, and it is a great privilege to be able to touch base with each of you. I um, am so grateful for the way God has built up the members of this Saints Network in, in the work of the kingdom and particularly very honored to be serving God among my congregation here in Dallas. So greetings to everybody. Today we want to get right into the word and um, want to remind everybody that traditionally, now we don't follow tradition, but for those of you who are purists, traditionally Wednesday night was called prayer and Bible study. Remember that? And um, I do think that it's important for us to pray every day. And we should be ardent students of the word. We have resources at our ready disposal to study the scripture that are unheard of in the history of mankind. I marvel at what I hold in my hand right now. Uh, I've, got, I've got my senior adult Bible that I purchased for our senior adults 20 years ago, maybe longer than that. And I have my little phone here that has a, a wealth of biblical information on it. I can study here. If I had had this thing when I was in seminary, I could have I could have reduced my study load by 95%. I mean, I, I, I can study things here, and you can too, that is, is just such a gift from God that other generations did not have. And so, <clears throat> I have felt that the Lord wanted us to have a, a time where we as saints could simply study the word together. Now, I know what our history has been. I know what the saints became used to. And by that, I mean God was giving so much revelation, and he continues to give this from his word, that often when we would be bringing about a, a new concept that was scriptural, I felt as if I needed to list out things on a paper, call it an outline, but it was basically a scriptural flow pattern so that anybody listening could see this isn't Pastor Ron's nonsense, this is the scripture. And, um, and that helped people. And, I, and we still give outlines. I'm not disputing the need for those. But at times, it might be good for us just to open up our Bible or God, God has given you a Bible program of some sort and, and we just study together without me cutting up your meat for you and putting it on a plate. I have no problem with that. I've done it probably over a thousand times 
but I do think that people need to learn how to to study. You 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 learn through doing, and you you learn by being skillful. Um, if if all if all I did was bring training to my people where they could look at a piece of paper and never have to dig into the scripture for themselves, I would not be I would not be developing a pneumatikos people. So today we're going to look at a topic that we've taught on before. Many times we've applied this, but we're going to look at it a bit deeper today and we're going to do it together and it's going to be in regard to the conscience and in particular we're going to see hopefully how the uh, sprinkling of the blood of Christ affects or should affect if we allow it the conscience so have your Bible ready it shouldn't be hard for you and, and forgive me, some people get disturbed when I talk like that. Look, look, I know a whole lot of teachers. I've been in a lot of classrooms. And every now and then the teacher has to remind students that they're actually there to learn. And I can hear some of you right now with your grade school cl classes or wherever. Okay, now, everybody put your thinking caps on. Everybody get your pencil out. Get your book out. Turn to this page. They should have been there already, but so give me a little bit of a break. I'm not speaking down to people. I'm trying to awaken people that God wants you to learn how to study the word. So be skilled with the tools that God has given you. So we're going to begin by looking at Hebrews 10. Um and we'll start reading at verse 16. I'm just going to read it out of the good old King James, even though I have my phone with my Bible program in my other hand. Um, but I love, I love the written word on paper, too. Hebrews 10, verse 16. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds I will write them. And their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering from sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Hmm. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? 
Now, if you know anything at all, this is not the Methodist baptism, the sprinkling of water. He's not talking about sprinkling water really anywhere here in Hebrews. He, anytime he's talking about sprinkling, and he says it a lot, it's about the blood. The blood of the sacrifice, which for us is the blood of Christ. But you, you see in verse 16 that God's new laws are in our heart which is the steering wheel of our life. And in our minds, I'm going to let them be written. So you're going to interpret, sense what God is saying through your studies. You're going to deduce what they are. And then these biblically-based instructions will be upon our hearts. The Bible says in the Old Testament, that word, have I hid in my heart that keeps me from missing the mark. So I, I think that we should understand that progression, that God reveals things through his spirit on the basis of his word. Our minds ascertain them, and we need to keep subjecting the mind to the things of the spirit. We make the mind be disciplined toward God. And that is the way that we ascertain the things God is saying through the Spirit. This is what the Scripture just said. We just read it. And then we imprint those things in our hearts so it becomes our course of action. So then why is uh, the writer here saying that our hearts should be sprinkled from an evil conscience? What is the conscience, and what is this evil conscience? Well, we'll answer that in a very simple way. A conscience was a word that was popularized in the Greek understanding somewhere from what I've studied. I saw this in more than one places in my studies. It became really popularized around 300 B.C., and people began to notice that the, there was a difference between the way we think, what our heart is, what our spirit is. If you want to read some interesting things, you should read Romans 2.15 and 1 Peter 1.2, where here Paul and Peter talk about the breakdown of each of these. I mean, he, they clearly speak about them. But the Greeks were opining upon these things. And they believed that the conscience was kind of like the impulse upon which we gain, uh, dare I say, these are just my words, the wind in our sails. And the conscience was based upon our experience or lack thereof um, influences around us that maybe trained us, our fears, where our, where our emotions or our compassion, it just all mixes together and somehow based upon how those influences affect us, then the conscience is, is a really um, 
impetus for what we do. It's kind of like the fuel of things. And God just said that he wants our heart to be imprinted with his new laws that his spirit inspired um, the mind to comprehend through study of the word and through meditating before God. And then those things are imprinted in our heart and that should be our course of action. But the conscience then enters in. And like I said, all those influences and probably more. Some people have more, they're more directed by fear. Some people are more directed by compassion. Some people are more directed by some wounding that they had in the past. You know, a scolded, a scalded dog is afraid of all water. You know, that kind of thing. And that becomes kind of like a governor. Now, here it says that the blood of sprinkling would purge an evil conscience. Now, this word evil is from poneros. Now, in our elemental pneumaticus understanding, there's a difference between kakos, which is like raw. It's the opposite of the good. Kakos is just blatant, in-your-face evil. Today, it masquerades itself as your truth or, you know, love or whatever. But evil, you know, our society today, it's, it's hard to believe that two of the main uh, things that will probably greatly influence the election for a president next year are the right to kill babies and drug abuse and what to do with people who are addicted, which then leads at times to homelessness. I'm not saying every homelessness is a, is a regard of drugs. You know, several years ago, for I think like five years straight, I would sneak out and go to San Francisco for a day or two. My congregation wasn't aware I was doing this. And I would go and pray. I would walk through that city and the things I saw spiritually, the way the enemy confronted me spiritually. And it was really the beginning of the time when homeless people or and or, I'm not calling all homeless people this, but derelicts, drug addicts, and demonized, sometimes often the mentally ill. And, and how many times I would have people come up to me and I could see Satan speaking through them and they'd say things. And um, it's, it's blatant evil, but out there, let's empower that. Let's say unless you allow entire neighborhoods to become public campgrounds and potties on the streets um, that we're not being loving. It's, you know, what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. Truth cries in the streets and anybody that rises up to speak truth is labeled terrible things and run the risk of being either attacked, killed, or jailed. What a society. So Kakos is the 
the open agenda of the enemy. Poneros is something else. Now, we've said in the past, and this is true, that it's kind of a mindset. It's kind of a way that people just act out what society wants. And that's, that's a good description, but it's deeper than that. When you study this word, um, you find out that in, in just liter historical literature, this word was described, used to describe any influence that could deter or derail or subdue somebody. Like the Persian army was described as, as being Poneros, where they would come in and they would subject and they would assert their will upon the, uh, the tribes or the nations that they, that they defeated and subsequently subjugated. This word was also used to describe the, the debilitating effects of disease on a person to where somebody who was once vibrant and active, now this thing comes and it has a poneros influence. It derails them. It keeps them from doing what they're supposed to, what they want to do, or what they wanted to do. And it really it does more than make them a slave. It subjects their their entire persona. Um, this word, or the root of this word, poneros, was used in, uh, in the book of Ephesians when it talks about we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but of principalities, powers. Um, and, and, and the last of the five, which would correspond with um, the megas or, or probably the groves, was... Um, spiritual wickedness in high places. Pneumatikos Poneros. And what did we study recently about high places? It was where people, not just an altar, but where some group would come together to champion a particular demon or a particular thing that they worshipped or a particular cause. And anywhere you had an accumulation on a, on a lower level, but yet powerful area, whether it was a grove or a high place, high places did not have to be in an elevation. The Bama could be anywhere, in the valleys, in the gates of a city, on the mountaintop, in the heavenlies. But the influence, and there, there are probably very you know, creating atmospheres where the demonic gathers together people to worship. This is what the concept of voodoo was in the Caribbean particularly. They, they believed, and there were variations of this, but they believed that there was one controlling basically demonic influence and then serving that were a bunch of demons. And so uh, it was like the godfather of the demonic realm in some ways. And then the, the hitmen or the, the heavies would go out. But spiritual wickedness in high places was what, in that paradigm of thought from the Apostle Paul in the Scripture, was the lowest level, um, pneumatikos. It was, it was demonic, demonically inspired people who were dealing with spiritual principles that were deep and applying them and 
basically for the purpose of not only subjugating those that were involved in that, but their objective was to stamp, to influence the community, to influence the realm, to influence the atmosphere, but also to subdue and subjugate you and me from going forward. So when we say from what we just read in Hebrews that we needed to have the sprinkling of the blood so that an evil conscience would not subdue or subjugate or deter the heart. That is a big clue as to how you might overcome in spiritual warfare. And I know that um, I know that the sprinkling of the blood is such a powerful thing we don't want to be subjugated. We don't want our hearts where the law of God has been inscribed. He just said that just a few verses earlier. So this is a direct threat to what God has instructed you to do. This influence is a direct threat to try to subvert or to tamp down or to um, hinder, to subjugate. That's a good word. So it's just not blatant somebody with horns and a pitchfork standing in front of you telling you to construct a golden altar or something like that. That that day is coming, if we read the book of Revelation. But it's it's more subtle, but it's pneumatikos. And so the blood of Jesus helps us not to have the law written on our hearts, which is the steering wheel of our life. It's where we believe, if we love the scripture, it's where it's the operative platform by which we tell mountains to be removed. Um, the sprinkling of the blood of Christ touches the evil conscience. So what, what else does the Bible say about the conscience? It's not Jiminy Cricket in the Pinocchio story who was Pinocchio's conscience. Well, Let's take a look at those, shall we? You could, you could hit conscience and study and find all of these verses if you were so inclined. Now, the scripture talks in a positive way about a good conscience. Both Paul and Peter speak about this. And they use two words to describe good interchangeably. Kalos, which is the, the Greek ideal of um, um, the purpose of God, and agathos, which has more to do with the common group of people coming together as brothers and sisters, seeking after what the agape has given, going forward together. So good conscience would be that. You're devoted to the purpose and you're surrounding yourself with people. I wanted to say one other thing about poneros. 
Um, a couple of times in the New Testament, it equates iniquity. The translation in the King James, at least, is iniquity, and it's describing poneros, which would make sense because our iniquities can rise up and hold us back from going after the purpose of God. Just wanted to throw that in. Um, let's see what else it says about um, the conscience. In one instance, Paul, writing to the Corinthians, talks a lot about meat offered to idols, and that's we're not going to go down that side trail because we don't deal with that. You don't go into Piggly Wiggly and stand at the meat counter and think, hmm, I want to stay away from that section over there that's been dedicated to Baal. We don't see that. Oh, this fresh-caught salmon. Was this offered to idols before it got on the boat from on the plane from Alaska? We don't ever ask that, so I'm not going to go down that trail. But it, Paul does say that the whole, I'm just paraphrasing, the whole idea of that is ridiculous. He said, eat what's set before you. But then it says... If there's somebody who has a weak conscience, watch what you do around them. You're not being hypocritical. You just don't want to give them an occasion to stumble. And here, weak, as some of you have already found out because you're whiz-bangs on your phone, it's astheneo, which means that they haven't allowed God to really develop anything to do with what drives them? You know, astheneo is is that term that's used to describe an infirmity, something that is 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 there, but it's not functioning right. And there are a lot of those people. I mean, listen, I I, I was raised in a church, and I knew what I could do around who. I wasn't out smoking or drinking or anything of that nature. But it's amazing the things that Christians can get offended by. Even today, as a pastor, I look out over my congregation and I think, I love all these folks. Well, just about all of them. No, I love them all. And, but I know who, who, you don't bring this topic up around them. And you don't, you don't joke about this over here. Not that there's anything impure it's just that some people are kind of crippled in their conscience. That's what astheneo is. And the Spirit prays for us that we will develop and stop being infirmed in an astheneo way. Um, so the whole business about meat offered to idols, Paul was just basically saying with that key understanding that a brother with a weak conscience it can take them out because they're they're fragile. I'm not demeaning them. This is the spirit. This is Paul that wrote this. So what do I do? Especially when we go into new places. I try to just be loving and smiling. I don't trust that people are strong, even the people that should be strong. And you have to be really careful because some people who look like they're strong are really weak and they're just looking for ways not to become strong. 
So if they can find something that says, oh, oh, look, look, look what he did. Can you believe he did that? We shouldn't listen to anything he says. And I try to tell our teams, there's, there's one way that we can behave before the Lord when it's just us. But when we're out here amongst people we don't know, it's not that we're being hypocritical. We have to be careful because there are weak-minded, weak-conscienced people. Maybe they're undeveloped because they were taught wrong. Maybe they're undeveloped because they're weak. Maybe they're undeveloped because they have not, don't have experience. Maybe they've had bad experience. Maybe they've been wounded. Maybe they're just suspicious and their iniquities lead them. You know, some people call the gift of prophecy uh, in their life prophecy when it should be the gift of suspicion. Other people just are, are always on the lookout for some thing to, to become incensed by. You know, some people, I can, Jesus, when the Bible was talking about when he would preach, he knew their thoughts. I prayed that the Lord would help me because sometimes when I'm speaking, and it's not just by what people are doing on their face, uh, 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 depicting on their faces, sometimes I can hear people's thoughts. Sometimes I can see their rationalization. Sometimes they're sitting like a, a, a cat on a griddle and they're just so startled by just the simplest things. And so Paul in Corinthians, he's saying, you got to know that there are, there are going to be a lot of people with an astheneo conscience. And you just set them, set them off spinning. You're not going to be able to do this for everybody. Now then some would say, well, just do what you're going to do. Don't, don't walk this way. You know, don't worry about what people think or what they say. Well, that's fine if you just want to be, if you don't want to build anything lasting, you got to know your crowd. Oh, no, you just preach the word. Will you read the Bible sometimes, please? What did, what did Jesus do when um, the Pharisees came up and started asking him some lame question? He accused them of being wicked, which was our old friend Poneros, which just meant you're wanting to slow my momentum. You're wanting to bring me into a, uh, a party conflict, but your main objective is to, is to slow me down. And he knew who the crowd was, and he would ask a question based upon what he knew those people were thinking. And he wasn't doing it to bring some dynamic truth in those instances. He was bringing it to reveal what their hearts were really up to. Do you remember when um, John 8, when Jesus wrote in the sand, when they had a woman caught in adultery, and Jesus started writing in the dirt, and it says, their consciences, read it for yourself, folks, it's there, were convicted and the older people were the first to leave 
Now, some people have a bit, what did Jesus write? He wrote their sins. I don't really know about that. Since nobody knows, I can give my opinion. Older people have seen a lot. Um, it's tempting to say that older people are going to hold back the younger ones. Tell that to Caleb and Joshua. And I've found out that it doesn't really matter how old you are. Sometimes young people think they know everything, don't they? Don't you wish you knew as much as you knew you knew when you were 20? You first came out of school and had all the answers? Don't you wish you were that person? I don't. I continue to learn, but yet as an older person, I've had a lot of experiences. Maybe he wrote something about a grandson. Maybe he wrote something about a daughter or an experience that a wife had in the home that that elder had to deal with recognizing that not everything is just white and black. And the young ones were the last to leave, but they left too. Why? Because they knew everything. They didn't have a lot of experience. Finally, though, he nailed something that got to them. Or maybe they saw, hey, wait a second, we're here alone. The momentum of the crowd, which usually draws young people, is now absent. It's just us standing here. We better skedaddle. But it was a conscience. It was a conscience. They were convicted by their conscience. And that's something. So, there was also, if you've looked up conscience, these are just right there. You can just use your little finger to scroll up and down. In Acts 24, 16, you want to have your conscience void of offense toward God. Hmm, so your conscience can be offended. What, what does void of offense mean? It's a word that is translated in some ways um, to indicate kicking against something you don't like. Kicking against a stone that you wish wasn't in your pathway. Um, maybe the same concept was when the Lord, when appearing to Saul, on the street called Straight, said, how long are you kicking against the barriers that I've put in front of you? Kicking against. So your conscience can kick against things that God is wanting you to do. Oh, you can justify it. Oh, probably I think this is where the checks in your spirit are written. It has nothing to do with your spirit. It's your conscience trying to get your spirit not to do what God wants. Oh, I heard one time that somebody did that and they were, somebody was following the Lord and it was just evil. So we don't want to do that. Oh, if we applied that to everything in life. You see somebody crash, but then you get out in your car and drive. Uh, you hear about a plane crash. Thank God we haven't heard about many lately. But then you'll hop on a plane to go on vacation. 
But when it comes to spiritual things, you hear one bad thing that some guy may have perverted a true thing. You say, oh, we got to stay away from that. Our conscience does it. And usually, it's not out of a sense of safety. It's really out of a sense to say, you know, I don't really want to do that. I'm going to search for some reasons why I shouldn't. And then I'll say that I'm really doing it from experience and on God's behalf. But our conscience can be that voice that kicks against God. Um, Romans 9.1, the conscience should bear witness. Our conscience should embrace what our prophetic calling is. 1 Timothy 3.9, we hold the mystery of faith, the mysterion of pistis, what God is revealing in his mysteries in faith at the right hand, in a pure katharos conscience. Katharos, pure, free-flowing. So we don't want, again, our conscience to block the mystery of faith. The Bible also says that our conscience can be defiled. And the word defiled there can mean um, something that besmirches or uh, paints a bad picture of. It was, that word was used of religious people who felt their position threatened or felt their power base might evaporate or they just, they're an old dog and they're not interested in God teaching them any new tricks. So their way is to disparage your conscience being defiled. So those things are words that specifically talk about our conscience. And as I said, you can look at this, we don't have time today, but Romans 2.15, I said it earlier, and 1 Peter 1.2, Paul lists the mind, the heart, the conscience in Romans 2.15, and then Peter speaks about how we need to let the Spirit be holy within us. And if we think that that we are making the Spirit of God holy, what are we thinking? God doesn't need any help from us keeping His Spirit holy. If there's anything that needs help, it's His Spirit within us that needs to be devoted to being holy. So those are factors in our lives. But when we are wanting to move with God in full assurance of faith, here we are back to Hebrews 10.22, our hearts should be sprinkled so that an evil conscience does not come. And then why are bodies washed with pure water? So that we're not doing things in the natural that basically destroys the whole thing. We're not engaging in sin. And we're making sure that when we come before God, that we, we're coming in a right atmosphere. We're not coming in the cares of this world or um, 
the the pains that we just experienced or the worries that we have we got to wash all of that whatever physical influence whatever that might be no matter how you feel justified i'm a mother i'm a grandmother you just don't know well no i don't know about being a mother or a grandmother but i know i've seen a lot of them and i know what i deal with and it's a constant it's a constant to be washed by the water of the word so that I'm clean as much as possible from influences that could keep me from seeking God. So all those things about the conscience are there in the scripture. And when, when God is moving with us in the new covenant, we've got to make sure that our conscience, when the sprinkling of the blood hits our conscience, maybe just maybe it's touching areas that we've allowed the impulse or the impetus of that conscience to hold us back. Or maybe an area that's astheneo that's not been used by God. Maybe, And astheneo doesn't mean it's not been used. Iniquities are used in a lot of ways for evil things, but it's just not being used for God. And the sprinkling of blood may touch that. It may be touching that you're, you're overly sensitive and you need to buck up and let go. Maybe it's saying that you, you need to devote yourself more to the pure and to the, the common themes of the Lord. Maybe, maybe the enemy influence, spiritual wickedness, is really polluting you. And it can be towards holy things. People can get so incensed by stuff that really somebody should be incensed by that's going on in politics, it's going on in the world, it's going in in our cities. And they can become enraged. And when you try to talk to them about the things of the Spirit, oh, be heavenly minded all you want, but we're no earthly good if we don't deal with this. What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would say, hey, you got a stick. I want to write some things here in the sand. Conscience. So the sprinkling of the blood knows how important it is for our conscience to be free of detriments and open to influencing toward the good. Good conscience. What is God's purpose wanting? That's what he's been speaking to us from the Spirit. That's what he's been speaking to us from the Word. That's what we've been learning. That's what we've sown into our hearts. And at every one of those junctures, an evil conscience, or a weak conscience, or a, a conscience that is, <clears throat> that is not devoted to the martyria of God, can try to limit and hinder. Now, for us as saints today, the things God's been showing in his scripture um, about the authority, the double, as we studied about on Sunday, the, the birthing of grace, um, being Samuel-like, these are really powerful things and there is an attendant anointing that God is releasing 
in these days that I've never felt before. And I'm not the be-all, end-all of all things spiritual. I hate it when people say, oh, no, if I know anything, or I've never felt anything like that before. You know, it's the greatest thing ever. Well, last week was the greatest thing ever, too. And there'll be something next week that's the greatest thing ever. Because God's full of those. But ever? Anyway. I know myself, and I know the impulse of the Spirit within me is similar but different than anything I've felt. And it's commensurate with where we're supposed to be going. And God is continually speaking to me about being willing to take the next step forward, learning different things about the next steps for what our responsibilities are. So Hebrews 2, let's, let's just look at two more passages in Hebrews. Hebrews 12, verses 22 through 24. We know these passages. We're just looking at them again for the Spirit to say new things because the Word is alive. You are come unto Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, to God the judge of all, to the spirits of just men, made perfect. At some point, maybe we'll talk about the difference between these three groups. The general assembly, the church of the firstborn, and to the spirits of the righteous who have entered into perfection. I'm not talking about necromancy. I'm not talking about talking to the dead. I And here, you know, we could add to this uh, a great cloud of witnesses, which is not in this passage. But all of these influences are biblical, the innumerable company of angels. All of these influences are around us when we go into the, into the mountain of the Lord. It's not we will come, it's we are come. To Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, to the blood of sprinkling that speaks better things than that of Abel. Oh yes, we can go into our notes and teach about Abel again. He offered obediently what God wanted, the sacrifice that God wanted, the blood, the lamb. Cain wanted to offer what he wanted. Oh yes, we've heard that story. But to be better than Abel? That's from our old friend Kratos, Creaton. And that just means that whatever God is going to require of us is going to be directed by the throne. And if the throne is directing us, then for us, that's better than what Abel did. Now, what Abel did in his day for his life was what God was directing. But for us, what is God directing now? So let Abel be able, but you be you before the throne. And so there's that blood of sprinkling. 
I'm looking at the time. We have plenty still. Let's look at Hebrews 9. Just a few turning of the leaves backward. Hebrews 9, 14. How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Woohoo! What is that? Purge your conscience from dead works. Well, dead works are the works that you did before. Right? Paul said, forgetting those things that are behind. At the table of the Lord, we don't add leaven from our past experience. So, we should learn from them. We should give thanks to the Lord for them. But your conscience would say, Well, doesn't he know who I am? What we've done? Oh, I've seen everything. Done everything. Reminds me of the old actor Struther Martin who said that to John Wayne in one of his movies. Seen everything. Done everything. Been everywhere. God, sounds like that was in his book of prayer. You got to purge from your conscience dead works. And dead works are not necessarily works that, if you do them, death comes or no life comes from them. There's a lot of those out there. But it would also include those things that you did that are dead. It's like people live in the past. Hey, I know. The enemy always wants to bring up things from the past to me. See if it can get a stirring out of me. And I recognize those things are dead. Why am I trying to resurrect that zombie? The only way it has life is if I blow breath into it. So our conscience needs to be purged from dead works. Let's keep reading. For this cause he is the mediator of the New Testament, that by means of death... For the redemption of the transgressions that were under the first testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. Stick with me now here. For where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. A testament is a force after men are dead. Otherwise it is of no strength at all while the testator lived. Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every, every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and goats with water, scarlet wool, hyssop, and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God has enjoined unto you. Moreover, he speakled, sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without Shedding of blood, there's no remission. It was therefore necessary that the patterns of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but in heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Wow. Let's talk about two things. The first one quickly. When he's talking about our conscience being purged from dead works, 
he then goes into the topic of a last will and testament. And, in, and he says, you'll never enter into the inheritance until the testator is dead. And, and in the context of what he's saying, if God's trying to lead you into a new measure of inheritance, if you're clinging to dead works, you're not going to enter in. But you've got to realize those things are dead before the inheritance can really be sent to you. So the person who needs to be acknowledged as dead is you. The things that need to be acknowledged as dead are the dead works, no matter how great they are. Living dog is greater than a dead lion. Scripture says that. So we've, we've got to make sure our conscience isn't enshrining some dead work or wanting to resurrect it. Well, what about this patterns in the heavens? The sprinkling of the blood of Moses was upon the tabernacle and upon the vessels of ministry and upon the priests and upon the people and upon the book and all those things. And they here are described as patterns of things in the heavens in order to welcome what God wants, his glory, his presence on earth. And then Paul goes ahead to say that what about the patterns in the heavens? Well, the only way those can be sprinkled are by the better sacrifice. And that's the blood of Christ. The patterns in the heavens, we have to recognize as being what God is wanting to do on earth right now. We're not roaming around with a, with a tent anymore. We're not toting an Ark of the Covenant anymore. We are the temple. We are the tabernacle. And we are supposed to be going into heavenly places with God now. And we can't let our conscience keep us back from that and those patterns in the heavens, what is God doing there? We're not, we're not on earth with this particular sprinkling. We're in the heavens. We need to do everything we possibly can to eliminate any constricting influence, any balking influence any weak weak need personal predilection anything that is blocking the proper flow of catharos purity all of these warnings about the evil conscience or the weak conscience or the the poneros or we just went through them all the blood of Jesus needs to be sprinkled on them and we've got to be willing to move forward in them, in what God wants, to let the conscience be something that is an influence for righteousness. And 
there's a battleground in our conscience right now. Maybe you should go back through and, well, I wish I had this on a paper. I say that to everybody. I mean, I'm not just saying it to one person. My objective on these Wednesdays, as so often is, is for you to utilize that thing right in front of you, which you have with you all the time, your Bible. Go through these things about the conscience. I wish I could remember what word you said. Listen to the archive. Hey, you can do yourself a favor and listen to it at twice the speed. You can stop it when you want. You can go back. You can hear it again. Or you can just click on the word in your Bible program. Now, granted, Strong's doesn't say everything. Just because you find something strong doesn't prove that something that I'm saying that is a deeper understanding, which I studied out, is not true. I'm really covering a lot of ground here, but I guess the essence of it is we need to take responsibility for the conscience. We cannot let it resist God, rely on dead things, hinder what God is trying to put in our hearts. We've got to have our conscience sprinkled by the blood of Jesus so that we can move forward into the things of the heavens and apply the blood of sprinkling there. Moses had the pattern on earth. The new covenant gives us the privilege of moving in the patterns in the heavens and welcoming that power and that capacity and that purpose into the earth. If we let our conscience, no matter how cute or how self-serving it could be, to guide our life in any of these negative ways, we won't go there. We, we will not make it. And the time is short. We, we cannot miss what God says. Wow. I know we covered a lot of ground today, but you're Nematocost saints. Welcome to a Nematocost Bible study. I don't do things perfectly. By far, I don't. But I can tell you that what we just talked about for the last hour is a sample of what I, how I study when I'm waiting before the Lord. And most times early in the morning, most times I'm using my phone. Not to read People magazine, but to study the Word and the Spirit guides. And I have, I have a responsibility to act on what He showed. I, I know that what God's speaking to us about right now is our conscience. And I know the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus is vital for us. Whether it's our conscience, whether it's our ministry, whether it's who we are before the Lord, whether it's the patterns in the heavens where we are going or should be in our Mount Zion, 
you say, well, I don't know about that, Pastor. That's just a little weird to me. Well, what do you think? We just read these verses. We are not come to an earthly mountain. We're come to our Mount Zion. Here are the angels. Here is Jesus. Here is the Father and the blood of sprinkling. What in the world is that doing up there? Just a few chapters away from that, it talks about the patterns in the heavens needing to be applied with the better sacrifice. What is that talking about? So you can, I don't know about that, Pastor, all you want, but you better be saying, I don't know about that, God, and hear what he says, because it's right there in the Word. Yeah, I know, old Aunt Sally didn't do this. And when you were raised in a church, you didn't hear this preached about. I bless them. I was raised in that environment too. I'm so thankful that we're in a pneumaticos age. The end of all time is closer now than it ever was. God is revealing things in these hours to his saints from his word. And this is the word of God. This is where we're called to serve. And the only obstacle I can see is that our consciences need to get in line. You, oh, Pastor, I thought you said the natural mind was at enmity with the things of the Spirit. It is. But the conscience can be a slowing down. They may not be at war, but they're subtle. There's lots of different kinds of enemy. You know? An enemy can declare war on you, and then you're in a battle. But then you have an enemy that just tries to weaken you. To limit your ability to supply. To keep you from being battle ready. That's more subtle. Which is more dangerous? I think one leads place to the other. But we're way, well, we're not way past time. We're only two minutes past when we should stop. Let's pray and let's commit our conscience to the Lord. Well, how do I know whether my conscience is doing these things? Well, if your first step would be to ask for the sprinkling of the blood upon your conscience, which is what the scripture says. And if there's any, any kind of hindering factor, let the blood of Jesus deal with that. Then go through these scriptures for yourself and say, Steve Urkel would say, do I do that? Don't call me and ask me if you're doing that. If you're, if, if you're thinking about calling me to ask if you're doing that, chances are, as Jeff Foxworthy would say, Jeff Foxworthy would say, you're probably doing it. Sometimes people ask me, Was, am I doing that? And basically, they're looking for me to declare a papal edict for them to keep doing it. I could tell you you're doing it, but all that would do would be offend you. I can't do anything about your conscience. The blood of Jesus has to, and you have to. <laughs> I'm speaking to myself as well as to you. Woo. If you've listened to this message, if you're still listening... And at least one or two of these didn't ring a bell. We need to lay hands on you and 
bring you back to life. You're further gone than you, we might, any of us might have imagined. <laughs> These are good things. They're preparing us for points of power. And um, I pray that God will use this study and these scriptures to do a work in all of our lives. God bless you. Thanks for studying this. Now it's up to us before the Lord to do something about it. Amen. Well, we seal all these things in Jesus' name. I ask that the Spirit will guide you. And we thank Him for caring enough about us to show us these things. Till next time, God bless. Goodbye.